0: Well, good morning, everybody. It is really great to see you today. Welcome to Timberline. Huge welcome to you if you are a guest with us today. Thank you so much for taking the risk and being here. Lots of churches to choose from, and you've decided to be with us today, so thank you so much for that. But also, huge welcome to you if you've been around here for a long time. You are equally welcome. If you want to connect more with Timberline, there's a connection card In the seat back in front of you you can pop that into the offering uh, later on as that comes by also if you'd like more information the bulletin is there and there are uh, always tables in the mall with information about various ministries uh, and of course timberlinechurch.org is the website special thank you to you today for you have navigated a perilous jungle known as the parking lot today uh, we have the biker service. This uh, is the next service. I'm, I'm, um, I'm not preaching at that because I don't think they would trust me with a scooter. So uh, <laughs> Pastor Darryl will be preaching at that service. But I know that it was difficult to get in and find a place today. Thank you for your graciousness and, and patience with that. How many of you know that... Uh, 4,786 miles away uh, in London right now. There's a pretty big event going on this weekend. Anyone aware of that? Uh, it is the Queen's Jubilee, 60 years. And um, I just uh, was in contact with London a few minutes ago. There are one million people standing by the River Thames as the Queen goes down in a, in a boat in a flotilla uh, right now more people than there were for the millennium it's a big deal and uh, it's a national party there are flags everywhere I, I, I can't be there I'm, I'm here and so I, I called her and, and said uh, <laughs> said honey listen I'm sorry I, I you know I've got places to go people to see things to do and she said well I'm devastated but we'll carry on anyway and she said say hi to the Timberline guys so hi from I made all of that up, people, okay, but there are a million people uh, by the Thames right now. A jubilee. Every seven years in the Bible, there was a jubilee, and it was not the celebration of a monarch's anniversary, rather it was a celebration of freedom, where every seven years, debts were canceled, every seven years, slaves were set free. It was a freedom jubilee. Well, as we're continuing this series, Eyewitness News, looking at the Gospel of Mark, we are coming to a freedom episode now uh, this weekend. Last weekend, Pastor Darry was sharing with us about Jesus in the boat in the middle of the storm, and what we're going to look at this weekend immediately follows that episode. So I want us to jump right in. If you've got a bulletin and you're following along, just uh, jump right in, because we're going to go right to the first point. There are four cries in this story. And the first is a cry of despair. A cry of despair. Mark 5, 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Uh, Yesterday, uh, Kay and I were were driving around and uh, we were talking about this weekend's message. And I I said to her, honey, what is the most terrifying episode that you can remember in our 37 years together? We've been married 33 years. We've known each other 37 years. And I said, what is the the most scary moment for you in our journey together so far? And she said immediately, she said, oh, I, I, I know, I know the most scary episode. It was when we were having breakfast and that guy tried to shoot us. How many know that that would be a bad start to the day? And she's absolutely right. It was terrifying. I don't own a gun. I've told you that before. I tried to buy a gun. I went to my local store. And uh, the reason I don't have a gun is because of someone in Timberline. The guy working behind the counter recognized me. And he said, hi, Pastor Jeb." I said, I want to buy a gun. He said, now listen, I've heard your stories He said, I am telling you, I beg you in the name of all that is reasonable, do not buy a gun, Jeff, for this shall end in weeping and gnashing of teeth. (laughs) So I don't have a gun. If we ever had an intruder, my strategy would be just run around the house screaming in falsetto. That would be my response but my English friend who'd moved over from England he was living in Oregon and he was a pastor and we were having breakfast with him our family our children were young we were seated around the breakfast table enjoying a happy time together and this guy had got himself a gun he said I've got to show you the gun it was a 308 rifle which is a significant gun and he went into his bedroom, and he came out of his bedroom, and he's standing there with this thing, and he forgot the first rule that you always employ around guns. You always assume the gun is loaded. You never act as if it were not. You always make sure that it's safe, and he's standing there talking away, and he said, look, this thing is really neat, and pulled the trigger, and bam! I mean, you were shocked just then. You should have seen us, The noise was deafening. Cordite smoke filled the room. The bullet hit the wood stove, ricocheted across the table, narrowly missing us and embedded itself in the ceiling. We all burst into tears because we went into shock. The noise was so deafening, the shock so apparent. And I remember Kay and I looked around the table to see if everybody was still alive. It was a horrible moment. And I, I remember this guy his wife said something to him. (laughs) We'll leave it at that, shall we? But he was so embarrassed, if you can be embarrassed about almost killing people... That in his agitation, he, 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 he unloaded the gun and, 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 and the, the cartridge expelled. And in his agitation, he put another cartridge up the spout, thinking he was making it safe, pulled the trigger again and shot a hole in the carpet. <laughs> At which point, his wife said something again. <laughs> Just when we thought we were safe, we were not. That's exactly what happens in this story for the disciples. They have been terrified. They were terrified because of the storm. Not only were they afraid of the storm, but they were afraid of Jesus because he took control over the storm. In Mark 4, 41, it says that they were afraid. The Greek word means they feared a great fear. They're terrified, and now they have to live with some good news and some bad news. You see, Jesus has calmed the storm. It is totally calm. The bad news is they're in a sailing boat. So it's time to get the oars out, and they have to row the rest of the way. They are weary. It is now late at night. How many know that everything is worse late at night? You know that. You're familiar with that. The telephone rings. Your heart leaps. You're agitated, you're worried, you can't sleep. The nighttime magnifies the issue. Leo Rosten talks about the dark colony of the night. And they're tense as well because they're in the land of the Gerasenes. This was foreign territory, Gentile territory, which uh, the Romans, 70 years earlier, they had released the Gentiles from Jewish influence. This was a mainly Gentile, and in their thinking, a bit of an enemy area. And they are in the area of the necropolis, the graveyard. And this is where I wish I had some spooky music. Sort of... That wasn't very spooky now, was it? It's a graveyard, and it's spooky, and it's nighttime, and they're weary, and suddenly a man runs at them, screaming, "Ah!" I've been practicing that all weekend. I'm, I'm sorry to make you jump. Some of you went. Can you imagine how terrifying this was. The dude is naked. He hasn't got any clothes on. We know that. Typical of Dr. Luke in his version of this, Luke chapter 8. This man is naked. He's violent. No one can pass by. In fact, he's got a friend according to Matthew chapter 8. There are two of them. This man is covered in blood and in scars and he is screaming. The word there in the Greek means to shriek, a loud scream. I mean, I'm scared just talking about this. In a typical classic British understatement, one, one British commentary says this about this moment. It says, The onrush of the naked, yelling maniac must have tried the newly recovered confidence of the twelve. <laughs> you betcha! Mark is building up a terrifying scene, but it's also a picture of despair. Because this man is a, is a captive, he's a prisoner in this case, of demonic powers, but broaden it beyond that. This man's predicament shows all of us what it looks like to be a prisoner of something, to be bound, to be addictive, to embrace life-challenging patterns that are destructive. And you see, the enemy wants all of us to wear chains. Please know that. The enemy's agenda is that we be imprisoned. And for this man, that meant that he was in pain continuously, night and day, Scripture says. There's destruction in his relationships. He lives in the necropolis. He lives in a graveyard. No one wants him in town. That's what happens when you get into destructive behavior patterns. It will threaten your friendship. It will threaten your marriage. It will hurt you. And there's real despair here. Mark sighs and says, nothing was able. Nobody was strong enough to subdue him. They, they tried everything. And this man is living with an illusion of strength because they put shackles on his wrists and he breaks them. And yet he's powerless to break the invisible power that is controlling his life. It's a very stark picture. In much more subtle ways, something similar can happen to us. Bad habits descend into being addictions. And unfortunately, we don't get a warning light to tell us, you are now officially addicted. This is now controlling your life. And sometimes in overt and sometimes more subtle ways, you know what we do? We We despair. We quietly give up and surrender to sameness. And this story shows us that we can find hope again. Because even when our circumstances, when there's nothing we can do to change what's going on around us, we never lose the capacity to change within. Viktor Frankl lived in Auschwitz. And he watched the terrible degradation of his fellow prisoners as the Nazi guards would never refer to a prisoner by name. Their normal designation was a German word which means excrement. These people stripped of their dignity, utterly and totally controlled and imprisoned. But was said that he saw acts of great nobility in Auschwitz because even though the Nazis controlled their physical territory, they couldn't control the internal terrain within And he saw men and women give their last slice of bread to others because they refused to submit to sameness within. There's hope. And there's hope for us as Christians because you see, Christianity is not just about, well, change and do better. Christianity is far more than that. Christianity is where we allow the living power of the Holy Spirit to to bring change in our lives. Romans eight eleven. if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Think about that broken-blooded corpse in a tomb, the body of Jesus. It's been there for three days. And then suddenly, in one universe stopping millisecond on Easter Sunday morning, suddenly a heart starts beating. There's a pulse. And life flows into what was dead. And as we think about that, that's not just an abstract truth for us to theologically consider. But it's a reality that that very same power that raised a dead corpse to life, that very same power is available to us. Second Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's time to find hope again. It's time to say, I believe the liars, I've surrendered to sameness. There's There's a cry of despair, but Jesus brought hope. Secondly, there's a cry of confusion. There's a cry of confusion. Look at verse 7. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. But Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. This guy is really confused. He He says, what do you want with me? That's a a New Testament uh, vernacular term for mind your own business. This guy is in front of the person who can transform him, and he's saying, what's this got to do with you? Do you notice he used Jesus' name in the thinking of the day if you knew the name of a demon, the demon it was considered easier to drive the demon out. And if the demon knew your name, it was considered it would be harder to drive the demon out. There's some, some spiritual warfare going on here. And then this man uses God's name. He's in complete imprisonment, but he uses the name of God. He is tortured, but he thinks that Jesus is the tormentor. And he's saying things repetitively. It's the imperfect verb here. He kept on asking him. The guy's confused. He he keeps on saying the same thing. This guy is really, really confused. One minute he wants freedom, then he doesn't. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He does know who Jesus is. He is confused. You know, when we're in prison, confusion comes. One of the things I've been praying about for myself and for you this weekend is that lights will go on, And somehow we'll see clearly stuff about us that we hadn't noticed before. When was the last time you asked a friend that you trust to tell you the truth? How do you think I'm doing? Because it's possible to spend your life walking around and everybody else hears the rattling of chains except you. I've told you this story before, forgive me, but there was a a time when a friend of mine he, he got himself a second-hand BMW and he invited me to go for a ride in the car and they just replaced the battery in this car and uh, unusually the battery was not uh, where it normally is under the bonnet of the car the hood of the car uh, it was under the back seat the back passengers seat that's where it was located in this BMW and I Uh, I didn't know this, but they'd replaced the battery that day. They put the wrong one in, and the one they put in, the the battery posts were sticking up pretty high, too high. So I put my English rear end down on the seat. The seat went down. The metal underside of the seat connected with the battery terminals (laughs) and started a fire. And we're driving along, and I am completely oblivious, feeling strangely warm, but... And, and, and suddenly, the, the, the warning panel on the BMW started freaking out. I mean, this is a German car, so it's achtung Achtung. <laughs> Chris says, there's something wrong with this car. And, and there's no warning light that says, rear end on fire, rear end on fire. <laughs> and I, I, said, I said, I smell oil. And Jeannie, Chris's wife, she turned around and she looked at me. She said, that's not oil. Your rear end's on fire. And I said, you know, I feel led that we should pull over right now. (laughs) Do you know my rear end was on fire and I didn't even know it? It took a friend to tell me. When did you last ask someone to give you their perspective of you? When you When did we last ask God to give us his perspective on us? And we don't have to do this alone, you know. Celebrate Recovery is a ministry that is not simply about the obvious addictions, it's far more than that. It's about helping all of us to walk with God, working through the stuff that can clutter up all of our lives. This Thursday at 5.30, there's a Celebrate Recovery meal in the South Auditorium. There's a meeting afterwards. There's a table in the mall with Celebrate Recovery. It might be time to say, I could use some help. Martin Joseph sings a song with a line that says, Freedom needs a volunteer. It's a very incisive statement. Because as we realize that we perhaps have been in despair, and as the confusion clears, we need to volunteer for freedom and make good choices. But that leads me to some bad choices. Thirdly, a cry of rejection. A cry of rejection. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Ever heard that phrase, it's time for a come-to-Jesus moment? It normally has negative connotations. Mark presents us with a come to Jesus moment. When they came to Jesus, they saw this man transformed. He's dressed. I don't know where he got his clothes from, but he's dressed. Clothing in scripture is obviously a symbol of dignity. They stripped Jesus of the cross. The story of the good Samaritan, the man was naked. Now this man, he's got his clothes. He's got clothes on again. He's in his right mind. He is self-controlled. He is restored. I don't know why they did it. Was it superstition? Was it fear? Was it self-interest? Were they worried about their jobs? Employment possibilities for pig herders whose pigs take up swimming unsuccessfully. They're not great. But for whatever reason, they asked Jesus to go away. And all three Gospels record the fact that he does. They ask him to leave, and he goes. And it's tragic because he's exactly what they needed. You know, if you're going to fix something, it's important that you have exactly what you need. Yesterday, Kay said to me, honey, I think it's time for us to take the Christmas lights down. We've had Christmas lights on our deck and it's now June and she said, I think it's time for the lights to come down and and I'm thinking, honey, you know, there's two ways of looking at this. We could either be the last people to take our Christmas lights down or we could be the most prepared people for next Christmas. It's all a matter of perspective so I decided I'd go and take the lights down so I grabbed the wrong tool a Stanley knife and I started hacking at the cable the cable ties and yet lo, the Stanley knife did slip and I have a fairly sizable gash where I almost surrendered my thumb in the cause of domestic peace and as I sliced my thumb I remember that I did cry out with a great cry Praise the Lord, I said. (laughs) Then I realized I was just messing this up because I was working with the wrong tools. So I went back in. I don't know anything about tools, but I went through the toolbox and I saw these clippers and I thought, that'll work. And it did. And it took about five minutes. It was great. I needed the right piece of equipment to get the job done. And here are these people, these keepers of pigs, and Jesus is standing there, and they say, go away. Have you said go away to him? Have you said go away because you're a bit freaked out by his power? Have you you said go away because you've met irritating Christians who ranted in your ear? Have you said go away because great auntie so-and-so was a Jesus person, but she was kind of weird with it. And you have quietly in your heart, you said, go away. He did. I want you to know that in a few minutes from now, there is going to be an opportunity to reverse that decision. I want you to know that in a few minutes from now, There will be a moment when if you have said go away because of negative experiences of religion, because you just decided you wanted to go your own way, there's going to be an opportunity to say, Jesus, would you, um, excuse me, don't get in the boat. Don't sail off. I I need you here. There was a cry of rejection here. Well, the last thing is that there was a cry of liberation There was a cry of liberation. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that's the ten Gentile cities in that area, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. There's loaded language here in Mark, a little technical point. When this man says he wants to go with Jesus, a more more accurate translation is, I want to be with you, Jesus. Now, a careful study of Mark will reveal that back in Mark chapter 3, do you remember when Jesus called the disciples to be appointed by him? And it says he called them to the mountain to be with him. That's what discipleship is. It's about being with Jesus. And now this man naturally wants to be with Jesus. But two surprising things happen. First of all, Jesus says, no, go home. And secondly, particularly in Mark's gospel, the big surprise is that Jesus says, go tell everyone what the Lord has done for you. Now stop right there, mister. Because you see, everywhere else in Mark up until this point, Jesus has said, shh, don't tell anyone. So why is he saying to this guy, tell everyone? Well, that's most likely because Jesus had been ministering among the Jews and dealing with a lot of their prejudices and didn't want to create a political firestorm that would obstruct his ministry. But now he's in the land of the Gentiles. He wants them to freely know about him. So he says to this guy, go tell everybody what the Lord has done. It's a beautiful picture of serving where you are Isn't it true it's possible to have a fantasy commitment where we say, Jesus, if you called me to be a missionary to Africa, I'd be really red hot for you there. Where sometimes the challenge is living in situations that are not ideal. Some of us are living with second choices. We're in circumstances that we'd rather be out of. We don't want that job. Or we do want a job. And we find ourselves being where we don't want to be. And the challenge is to go to that home and be a faithful agent of the kingdom where we are. Go home and tell what the Lord has done. It's also a very beautiful example of what it means to share your faith. When I first became a Christian, I wanted to share Jesus with people and I was intimidated because I didn't know a lot of stuff. And I learned an evangelistic script and then I tried to get into the script and then I realized the people I was sharing with, they hadn't learned the script. They kept messing it up. You know, one of the most simple definitions of evangelism is just telling what the Lord has done for you. And I can hear someone saying, well, my story's not that spectacular. You know, I, I was not saved from a life of great criminality and destruction. Why do we think we've got to have a big story? I, I, I've, I've been in those meetings where the little five-year-old stands up and says, yes, Jesus has rescued me from a life of sin and shame. I'm thinking, you're only Five. Why do they do that is because we feel we've got to have some big epic story. Your story will do. Your story is just fine. And Jesus said, "Go and show, share what the Lord has done for you. Pastor Darius said it last week, particularly when you're navigating your way through a storm. There is power in your testimony. And Jesus invites this man to share a cry. cry of liberation. And the invitation is for us to do the same. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you today because this story is a story of everything changing. It's an episode of great despair. No one could subdue this man. And then you came by, Lord Jesus, and everything changed. I pray, we pray together as we just spend the next few moments quietly responding to your word, prayerfully allowing your word to land in our lives. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to move forward into freedom. our heads bowed, I believe that we're at a very crucial and important moment. Some of us realizing that we've known for a long time that there's a pattern in our lives that we need help to break. And others of us, somehow a light has gone on this morning and we have seen that we have been living under the power of something a destructive habit it's time to wake up and it's time to find hope and take steps so as our heads about in prayer not just because we tend to do this at the end of services but because it matters that we respond that we engage our will If you would say today, look, just include me in prayer, Jeff, because I recognize there's a pattern in my life that I need help to break. I recognize that I need the power that raised Christ from the dead. I want to cooperate with the power of God's Spirit. That pattern needs to be broken. If that's true for you, can I ask you just to slip up your hand right now for a moment, please, and hold it there. Would you do it? Lots of people are doing it, so don't need to feel ashamed or afraid. And you can put your hands down. I talked about that chilling moment this morning when they said, Jesus, get in the boat and go. And I talked about maybe the tragedy that some of us have done that for whatever reason. I'm going to pray a prayer they prayed a prayer go away here's another prayer that you might want to use if you'd like are you ready just pray this in your heart Lord Jesus I don't want you to go away I want you to stay I want you to come I want you to take charge in my life I want you to cleanse me. Thank you that you've shed your blood for me on the cross. Thank you that you have been raised from the dead. Your power is available to me through me. Jesus, don't go away. Please stay. I invite you now to take charge of my life. Wherever I have said in the past, Jesus, go away. Cancel that, Lord elite please stay please come into my life can I ask if you've just prayed that prayer again let's express our clear choices here if you've just prayed that prayer in your heart can I ask you just to slip your hand up please as a way of saying I've, I've just done that and that's wonderful you can put your hands down please know that in a few minutes our prayer team will be here they want to pray with you they want to agree with you about this decision that you're making today we have got stuff that we'd want to put in your hand information to help you to grow as a Christian you can go to our hospitality center and resources materials are there we want to help so we pray for each and every one Lord that has been making good choices. And finally, Lord, in this prayer, we pray for each other that wherever we find ourselves, some of us in places where we don't want to be, that you will help us to make good choices, to serve you where we are, to go home and share what the Lord has done for us. Help us, we pray. Not by might, nor by power, but by your Spirit, living Christ. We agree together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You are good. It's the understatement, but it's so true. You are magnificently good. So now take us in your goodness, Lord. May it be that in what we call home that you send us to, we declare what the Lord has done for us. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Special project for you. The first opportunity to go home and be a Christian on the way is waiting for you in the parking lot. So thank you so much for your patience with that. Uh, Prayer team are here. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you. Have a great weekend.